Old Testament scripture today is found in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. The very word of God. Thanks be to God. Would you turn over to the book of Romans for just a second and see a New Testament echo of that very same passage. Romans chapter 1. Oftentimes when we think about Romans chapter 1, we immediately go to, to um, proof texts in the back of the chapter to, to um, help ourselves feel better about ourselves, only to be taken apart by Romans chapter 2. But right before... Right before um, Paul teaches us about the righteousness of God, the right actions of God, he teaches us, he gives us a key to understanding God. He says in, in verse 16 of Romans chapter 1, For I'm not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The very word of God. Mm, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Oh, man, what a privilege to be together today. Especially, and again, we don't manipulate the word of God. We've been working our way through Habakkuk. But we could see months ago that on Mother's Day, this passage from Habakkuk would come up. And we thought, that is so totally appropriate, right? I don't know if you remember, and if maybe you weren't with us last week, but, but the story of Habakkuk is a story of a man wrestling with his questions of God. In the beginning of chapter 1, we saw that, that Habakkuk was overwhelmed by the brokenness of his world. Not necessarily of the people outside of the faith, but in particular of the people of faith. And Habakkuk just came to God and said, God, when are you going to do something about us? When are you going to do something about us, God? And then, and then God came back with a powerful answer. By the way, Habakkuk's another complaint at that time was, do you hear me, God? Why aren't you answering my prayer? And then God comes back and says, I am answering your prayer, but you're not going to like the answer. The answer is, I'm going to use Babylon. I'm going to use the most wicked nation you can think of to judge my people. And then we saw last week that Habakkuk's perspective changed suddenly. He said, wait a second. Wait, you're going to use people more wicked than us to judge us? I mean, all of a sudden, my wickedness is not looking so bad. God, and you're going to use the Babylonians? Like I share with you, not trying to be cruel or mean, but it would be like God saying to us, I'm using ISIS to judge my church. I'm not saying he's saying that. I'm just saying that would be like that to us. His answer to Habakkuk. And so I don't know if you remember, but at the end of Habakkuk, he said, okay, 
I'm just going to shut up and I'm going to wait on you, God. And it was almost a dare. It was almost like, I dare you to speak into my life. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering somehow or sometimes if you don't feel that way. You go all over the place with God. You, sometimes you feel very close to him. Sometimes he feels very far away. Sometimes you have hard questions and either he doesn't answer them, or at least in the timing that you would like, doesn't seem to answer them, or his answer is not one that you're particularly fond of. And, 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 and you cross your arms and you say, God, I, I, I am just going to shut up and, and you're just going to have to prove yourself to me. You're going to have to prove yourself. So when we last saw Habakkuk, he was sitting in a tower on the wall, remember that, of Jerusalem, saying, basically, I dare you, God. And God comes back to him in Habakkuk. And, 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 and God says, oh, it's coming. The, the answer to your prayer is coming. Just don't, don't put your time schedule on me. It is coming. It will not delay. My perfect plan is being worked out. Wait for it. Wait for it. I'm thinking on Mother's Day, how many times have you had to wait? How many times have you had to, to, to see something that, that broke your heart and, and cried out to God and then had to wait? To wait for it. I remember some significant periods of time in Karen's in my life when we had to wait. We did not understand what God was up to and he asked us to wait. And then in this, in this amazing passage today in, in Habakkuk 2.4, he says, there is a difference between the one who is judging, I'm using to judge you, and the ones that I'm judging. And here is the difference. One is living out of their pride. They are puffed up. And, and we know what happens with pride, right? Pride cometh, help me, before a fall. I will take care of that one. But there's another way, beloved. And I just want you to try and translate this today into your experience. There is another way for the people of God. And he said, this way is by faith. And I know that's, that's almost a cliche word. There's words in... In, in the faith community that we no longer even hear anymore because we're so used to them. Don't let that happen today. If you need to substitute another word, trust is the one that helps me. Trust. Oh, I have faith in God. Do I trust Him? Not always. Right? You see, you see another word sometimes helps you access that. But I'm so excited that today, especially, that, that we can approach this passage because I think that that there is this unique gift, and, and I know anytime you say anything about men or women or about any aspect of a person, you're in grave danger of making rash generalizations. And, and forgive me for that, but, but I, I, I believe with all my heart that it takes both men and women to fully represent the image of God. Amen? He created both in His image, and each brings something. And in general, um, in general, there's an aspect, it seems, for women that... That, that, that helps so much us men. And, and it's a gift of God wired into them that, that especially comes to the surface. Um, I, I see it with when, when God puts something under your care. It could be a pet. It could be a, a, sugar, a sugar glider. It could be uh, you know, um, a, a, a dog. It could never be a cat, but it could be, it could be something else. Sorry, my biases do come out periodically. 
but especially comes out when God grants you one of your own. When God does that miracle again, and it is a miracle. It is a miracle, isn't it? It's a precious miracle. When God gives you a child, all of a sudden you understand. And mothers especially understand something. I want to suggest to you that there's an aspect of the nature and character of God, the very image of God that women bless us with. Men get it. I know. Don't send me letters. But, but women just seem to really get it. And that is this aspect that they hunger to be in right relationship with their children. Am I wrong, women? You hunger. And, and, and you get out of right relationship, and, and especially with your children. You probably feel it like we men do with everybody, but, but especially with your children, when you're not in that right relationship, it, 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 it's a thirst, it's a hunger, it's a, it's a darkness, it's a brokenness that, that you cry out to God for. And so that's why I'm so grateful for women because God wired them with this. He wired humans with it, really, but women just seem to have the extra blessing of it. And I want to suggest to you that that hunger to be in right relationships is righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is not just right actions, even though you may read that in a commentary or somewhere, or even right thinking. It's certainly not right doctrine. Righteousness is the state of being in right relationship with others. I want you to think in a couple of categories today. Think in terms of your relationship with God. Righteousness, first and foremost, is, is the, the being in right relationship with the living God. But it's also being in right relationship with one another, so much so that John would say, if you are not in right relationship with another human being, how can you say you're in right relationship with God, right? But there's another dimension here, too. And, and, and that's, that's righteousness is a state of being in right relationship with ourselves. Because when Adam and Eve fell, right, the relationship with God was, was broken, right? When Adam and Eve fell, their relationship with creation was broken, right? Their, their primary gift of stewardship of creation was broken and and we've made a mess of it ever since. When Adam and Eve fell, the relationship between husband and wife, in other words, with other people, was broken. Amen? I, I'm, I still use periodically Adam's excuse. This woman you gave me, God. Right? But it's a sign of the brokenness of relationship. And when Adam and Eve fell, their relationship with themselves even was broken. And the really awesome news today is that all those things can be made whole. Uh, you, if you're like me, you just got a wave of overwhelm. Uh, you, wow. I, I can't even start to think about that. I can't even start. You don't have to. My guess is that God has put one particular aspect of that on your heart. That there's one particular... You're not worried right now about being equal groovy or something and being in right relationship with but you might very much be in a broken relationship with someone. Or you might be in great relationships with all the people in your life and you feel far from God. I'm just saying probably God will focus, allow you to focus on one aspect of this brokenness. But righteousness is, being in this, is a state of being in right relationship with God, with one another, and with ourselves as well. 
Do you remember, do you remember Habakkuk's problem? Remember how it started? His problem was that he didn't feel like God was in right relationship. He says, God, I need you to judge us. And, and, and you're not doing it. His tune changed very fast. But that's where he started. That's where he started. In other words, there's, there's a couple different sides of righteousness. And I think we forget this sometimes. The, one, the first side of righteousness is justice. It, it, right relationships sometimes means there's consequences for our actions, right? Now, I know that, that uh, to a certain extent, I'm not going to go uh, extreme on this, but to a certain extent, our culture doesn't recognize that, that we're trying to stop consequences from coming. But, that, but right relationship actually demands that there be consequences, right? If there's not, Simeon, one of these days, is going to wander in the street. If there's not some kind of consequence for for his behavior and that kind of thing. We, we put those kinds of, those kind of um, things on naturally, not thinking that they're actually a part of the nature of God. God loves us intensely as well, and as a result, will not allow us to do things that are going to hurt us, even if he has to intervene, even if he has to intervene to stop us in between. And so justice is, is an important side of right relationship. And I just want to free you in this relationship. Sometimes you have to, you have to call each other out. Sometimes we have to say. Some of the most um, relational moments has been when someone said to me, that really hurt when you did that, right? That really hurt. They held me responsible for my actions. And so, so um, but justice is not just that one side, getting what you deserve, as it were. We've defined that before. But there's another thing here as well, and that's mercy. And as you know, if justice is getting what you deserve, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Why? Because someone else stepped in the gap. Someone else interceded, if I could, made intercession for us. Someone else bridged the gap of that broken relationship. And so, so as we look at the two sides of righteousness, justice and mercy, we recognize that God does both perfectly. He is perfectly just and He is perfectly merciful. Can I get a witness? Is that true? Yeah, He, he is. And, and some of you are going, wait a second, how could that be? And I hope to be able to unpack that, but in case I don't, let me just say for a second the reason that he can be completely just and say, Ed, the wages of sin is death and merciful, but I'm not going to give you death. And you know this, Ed. But the reason he can do that is because he pronounced judgment and then came over and took Ed's place. And his own judgment fell on himself. That's the mercy, right? That's the mercy. So, so God can be both just and merciful at the same time. The problem is that humans can't, right? Let's go to humans for just a second. The righteousness of humans. Romans 3, the book of Romans really is a, the whole book is an expression of Habakkuk. It's, an, it's a response to this tiny little phrase in Habakkuk 2.4 where, where God says through to Habakkuk, the righteous, my righteous ones will live by faith. And Paul exposes that over 16 chapters in, in, in Romans. But in Romans chapter 3, he's speaking of humans, says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks 
Uh, no one understands and no one seeks after God. You say, wait a second. Um, when I was little, I sought after God. What do you say, no one? Um, uh, remember the standard of righteousness that we chose through Adam and Eve was the glory of God. And none of us, none of us have been able to hit that mark of God's glory. None of us. No, not one. He's quoting actually the psalmist when he says that none is righteous. But then he goes on to say in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. And no matter what you believe about Adam and Eve, every single one of us in this room has fallen short ourselves of the glory of God. We have all sinned and fallen short. And so, humans have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. We have a righteousness problem. That's where the righteousness of God is so powerful. It's so powerful. That God is righteous means He'll always be in right relationship with us. He's in right relationship with Jesus. He was in right relationship even when Jesus cried out like you have cried out in His humanity. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God was in righteous relationship even when Jesus couldn't feel it, right? He was in right relationship because He was casting judgment on humanity through Jesus. He's in right relationship with human beings even when that right relationship also calls for judgment. Or when, praise God, right relationship calls for mercy. God knows and does what is right in order to restore the relationship. God is righteous and He always does what is righteous. So where, where is God's righteousness revealed to us? God's righteousness is revealed, Paul says, in the Gospel, do you remember Romans 1.17? went by really fast, but he said, for in the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, when you hear Gospel, some of us think a certain style of music, right? Some of us think the four um, witnesses of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But when I'm saying Gospel here, and I think it's faithful to what Paul is saying, when Paul is saying Gospel right now, he's, saying, he's talking about salvation history. He's talking about God intervening in human history. What is this gospel that we're talking about? Gospel literally means good news. So it's this good news that God has done what we cannot do. That God has, has interceded for us, intervened for us. He has done what we could not do and He bridged the gap Himself through Jesus Christ, between God and man, between woman and man, between humanity and creation, and even between our, us and ourselves, right? Even in the midst of our condemnation, God says, I can, I can take care of that. I have taken care of that. God, as I think, as I think Bill prayed earlier, God has made a way, okay? So if I were to ask you, is there a place somewhere in the Bible where, where we can summarize this truth that I just took several minutes to, to try and expose? Is there one place? Yeah, there's many places. One of them is in Romans 3. But the one that you probably already know, and you might not know that you know it, if someone say, what is the gospel? It begins something like this. God so loved, help me, the world that He gave his only begotten Son, 
that whosoever would believe in him would not die. In other words, experience the judgment, but have... You know, that's the gospel, you guys. But it's so familiar to us, we forget. We forget what we have. We forget the power of that. And it's only when God brings us to that place where we no longer feel His presence, where we're reminded, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's why Jesus came. That is why Jesus came. So, so the gospel is encapsulated. And it's encapsulated from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 21. It's encapsulated in the whole Bible for us. But once in a while, it's in this nice little package. God loved you so much that He gave His only begotten, the only one who actually physically was fathered by God, Jesus Christ, the only one without sin, uh, he risked him so that you can be in right relationship with God. I'm sorry I'm stumbling, but I, I've shared with you before, this is the hardest part of all of my relationship with God. And maybe that's why he's God and I'm not, because I, I, I don't know if I can do that. That always screams me whenever I talk about Abraham offering his son, even though God stopped him. But, but I... Um, I I understand the magnitude of that, and I'm guessing that you do too. This is significant, that God gave His only Son so that His only Son might produce a multitude, what, two billion currently, two billion children of God. So why? Why am I going to choose to live in fear of my own shadow, of my relationships with other human beings, of of this is not a political statement of something having to do with creation and global warming. Why would I live in fear of that? Why would I live in fear that God will somehow leave me or forsake me? Why would I live in fear when God is gently inviting me to trust instead? To trust. So, when you hear righteousness, hear right relationship. When you hear the word faith, hear trust. At some point, you have to decide what are you going to do? Are you going to put your weight down on God? We've shared this analogy so many times, but, but we trust things all the time. And, and sometimes they're worthy of our trust, like this chair, and sometimes they're not, like that piano bench, amen? Um, but, but you trust things all the time. God's saying, trust me. Trust me. I'm just, I'm just so conscious today that that some of us need to do that. Some of us need to come to that place where we say, I trust you, God. I trust you. So this gospel is revealed in the good news of Jesus Christ. But I want to just note here, we won't camp on it, but I want to note here that, that the end of that is really important. That whoever would believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Paul puts it differently in Romans. He says, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The power of God for salvation is available to you, beloved. It's available to you right now. Paul would say it again in Romans 3, 21 22. But now a righteousness, a right relationship with God has been manifested. One of those biblical words. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Manifested. That's a funny little word, isn't it? Do you remember it? 
the man means hands, and 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 festive festive means um, means party, or or more literally dancing. I don't know this for certain, but what I think this says, beloved, is that dancing at your very fingertips, dancing at your very fingertips is right relationship. I'm going to put this differently. The right relationships of God. Remember those things I asked you to think about earlier? Some of you are in broken relationship with the creation. Dancing at your fingertips is restoration. Some of you are in broken relationship with other people. Dancing at your fingertips is reconciliation. Some of you feel very far from God and dancing at your fingertips. You understand what that means? It means that right here it's available for you to grasp. It's available for you to grab and make your own. Dancing at your fingertips is the righteousness of God. So how do we grasp it? How do we grasp it? Not here. Not intellectually give assent to it. How do we genuinely grasp this? Change the life of a man. How many years? I can't do it fast enough. 2,600 years ago. 2,000 years ago, it changed. That was Habakkuk. 2,000 years ago, it changed the life of another person. The Apostle Paul, and we're reading his reflections on that today. How many? 500 years ago, almost to the day. Almost to the day. I think it's in October. 500 years ago, it changed the life of this poor monk who was trying to please God by crawling his way to the altar. And, and this truth transformed him. And that monk named Martin Luther began a movement which is still echoing in our world today. 2,600 years ago, 2,000 years ago, 500 years ago, beloved, what about today? Today, that gospel still has the power for salvation. Today, that gospel still has the power to restore relationships with each other, with creation, with ourselves. Those of you who are still beating yourselves up about the head and shoulders, the power of God is available for you right now. How do you grasp it? By trusting in it. By putting your weight down on it. My righteous ones will live by faith. I know you know it, but Hebrews chapter 11 gives an amazing exposition of faith. But in that book, the author says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of things hoped for. I love hope. I love hope. And if there's anything that I could do in my own human power today, it would be to give you hope. To give you hope in that maybe God does really love you. And you're precious to him as Simeon is to Jennifer and Nicodemus. Right? I pray that God would give you that hope. For those of you in broken relationships, that that relationship could be restored. Oh, if I could, I would just, I would just touch you and say, be hopeful, right? Be hopeful. For those of you who... who still cannot love yourself despite the scripture that Kristen read earlier about how precious you are to God, how uniquely formed you are for those of you who are still beating yourself up and believing I'm not somehow worthy of this 
precious relationship with God, I would want to give you hope. But God very well may have given you something more important than that. And you've got to grasp it. Because his word said, the dancing at your fingertips is the, is the assurance of your hope. Can you marvel at that for a second? If you've been real with me, if you have gone somewhere in your heart and your mind and, and offered that, to, for God to say, put your weight down on me now about that broken relationship. Put your weight down on, now on my love for you. Put your weight down on the reality that you're beautiful. You were not destroyed. Your sin did not win. My son did. Dancing at your fingertips is the opportunity to take a giant leap forward today, beloved. I ask you, can you trust? Can you trust in God's Word? Can you trust in God? Can you put your weight down on what God is saying? What are you hoping for? This amazing day, this Mother's Day, don't give up hope. The Word of God says that hope actually purifies you. But take the next step. Grab what's dancing at your fingertips. Pray with me, would you? Now, oh, God, so easy for us to compartmentalize, to think that what happened in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 3 is disconnected from the Old Testament. Unfortunately, God, we can't use that excuse anymore. You have revealed Yourself to us. You have revealed that, that You are working from the very beginning of creation, God, until the culmination of creation. There's one story, and it's a story of love and of grace. It's a story of hope, God. And it's a story of faith. Oh, I thank You so much for all the men and women, the students, God who are right now having to put their weight down on what they cannot see. I, I, I pray in Jesus' name that you would grant them that mustard seed of faith, God. That they no longer be slave to, to the amount of their faith, but instead they would be in love with the object of their faith, Jesus Christ. And God, that true, that right relationship with Jesus Christ, they might find power to face another day. They might find power and courage and strength to face the trial that is before them. That They might find, God, the patience to wait on Your perfect, and it will be perfect, Your perfect answer. Oh, God, I thank You. I thank You, God, that we have this hope because of Jesus Christ. God, is it possible that right now You would allow us to put our weight down on Jesus Christ. God, we have to have some foundation greater than ourselves. We have to, we have to look beyond our own abilities to your answer to us and to our need in Jesus Christ. Meet us in this place, would you, God?